So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. It is so good to have you with us today. I want to talk about a topic that has really come into my mind over the last few weeks as I've spoken to many investors, and that is that a lot of people are climbing the ladder to financial success. They're doing all the right things only to find very late in their journey that they've been leaning it against the wrong wall. Now, obviously that is a metaphor. And what I really mean to say is that I think people get that building wealth is important. And depending on how much time and energy and effort they've given it, they've taken some action, but they've realized very late in the wealth building journey that maybe they've been focusing on the wrong things and the runway that they have now from where they want to be to the decision to either step backwards or step away from their businesses is very near in the future. So they don't have that runway to correct their course of action as they may have had, say, for example, a decade ago. I guess I really want to talk to some degree about the shiny objects that many of us face when we're building wealth. I want to really kind of shine a light on them just in case there's any of you out there today that have maybe been putting your attention or building wealth with these kind of three filters, but haven't realized it and perhaps have time to rectify the decisions that you've been making so that you can, you know, course correct. So I think the first thing I want to focus on is that focus on only building your net worth. So, you know, what that looks like, and I'll talk about a couple Frank and Janie, and they basically, you know, were under the impression that if they focused on accumulating properties and did it in a way that meant they had to swallow the pain of negative cash flow for years and years and years, the hope they were going to end up with a portfolio that was going to have significantly better growth. And in fact, what's happened is they've, you know, been successful in growing their net worth, but the, you know, financial pain of carrying that property portfolio has been substantial. And they're in a situation now where they feel completely worn out. They've definitely tuned into the emotional marketing that goes on, which says that, you know, buying a particular style of property in a good growth area was what was going to help them achieve their goals. Buying assets to drive up your net worth certainly does make sense and is the greatest power or greatest tool that you can use if you are starting your wealth investment journey. But continuing to buy investments for the entire course of your investing journey that are massively negatively cash flowing, it doesn't actually necessarily get you where you want to go any faster. Because the challenge with holding an investment property that is negatively cash flowing is that you have to wait a long time for that asset to generate enough income for you to actually successfully live off it. I've spoken to so many investors in the last few weeks who have an enviable portfolio of great properties in highly sought after areas 
but they are not feeling the joy of having a high net worth. They don't feel rich. They don't feel wealthy. In fact, the experience they have is really just continuing to redline and to some degree live a hand-to-mouth existence. And so they are a great example of people who have, by somebody's playbook, done the right things and now find themselves in a situation where they're worth a lot of money on paper, but really they're just so far away from where they want to be. If you're in that situation, if you find yourself in that situation, really it's time to take stock and really evaluate, you know, what got you from where you were when you began to where you are is not what's going to get you to that next stage of the journey. The second kind of shiny object that I want to really focus on today is this abdicating of decision-making. So the example that comes to mind is a client that I've known for many years, Stan, who was an avid share trader and unfortunately found himself in a position of wiping out 30% of his net worth during the global financial crisis at a time in his life when he should have been really meandering into some kind of retirement he found himself in a situation where he felt his only option was to start taking on some higher risk investments to make up for the losses and to claw back some of the capital that he had lost. So he did all sorts of things. He put about three, 400000 into a restaurant, thinking that that would really help him make back the money very quickly. I should add that Stan was not a business owner and was going to be a silent partner in that business. Needless to say, that full 400000 was lost. The second thing he tried to do was implore his financial planner to shift his share portfolio into much more speculative high-risk investment. And the other thing he did was found some kind of obscure investments in things like some trees. And I don't know, for those of you who aren't aware, there, there were a number of investment opportunities available over the last 20 years where people could actually invest in the farming of large trees. Obviously a long game play, but essentially the idea is that they would pay off big time. I guess the unfortunate part for Stan is he just found himself kind of trying to continuously make up for lost time and money by taking on higher and higher risk investments and ultimately reached a point where he had to decide whether or not he could just continue doing what he was doing or look for a different pathway. Now, fortunately for Stan, he had a relatively high net worth. And so, you know, yes, his net worth was kind of substantially lost, but he still had enough to kind of tinker and play and get him to a position where he could actually do something meaningful in the final years towards his retirement. The contrast to that is someone called Jim, uh, who got a huge payout when he sold his business. And Jim is a guy who likes to keep things simple. He doesn't regard himself as highly educated, but recognize that when you don't know what you don't know, you've got to go out and get help. So he went around to some of the investment banks and some of the big four and tried to find out what they could help him 
do with the windfall from the, you know, the sale of business. He couldn't actually understand what the plans were, which I think is, you know, unfortunately, the way that a lot of the wealth industry has gone is by seem, making things seem super complicated or challenging that it makes it or gives the perception of higher value. But for Jim, he looked at those, you know, fancy spreadsheets and jargon and just couldn't understand it. And so he decided to go it alone. I guess that's the contrast to the investor who abdicates decision making and then finds themselves in a situation like Stan, which is after, you know, 25 to 30 years of running his business, finding that the team of professionals who he had entrusted his wealth to just had really, you know, botched it badly. So the third, I guess, shiny object that I think a lot of business owners find themselves stuck in when it comes to, you know, wealth building and which I definitely think is about, you know, leaning your ladder on the wrong wall is focusing on the wrong kinds of investment properties and investments. So one of the things that, you know, I've talked about, particularly when I'm working with younger people and they're just desperately trying to understand, well, where should I begin in terms of my investment journey. Obviously, you you never want to stretch beyond, you know, an investment that you're comfortably able to afford. But outside of that, what I try to say to people is that, you know, if you think of the price of real estate that you're looking at as sitting somewhere on a bell curve, you know, like where it goes up and then it goes down. So down one end of the bell curve, you have the super cheap properties in the super dodgy areas where maybe you're going to attract a more problematic tenant. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the ultra blue chip properties, which are definitely going to have the highest probability of being worth a lot of money, but unfortunately don't necessarily give you a lot of income. In fact, they drain you of income. And also they are in times of volatility, much more volatile in terms of price. So if you think of all property as sitting on a bell curve, one of the things that I've seen a lot of investors do is for very reasons invest at either end of the bell curve. So they're either very keen on buying cheap properties and I, you know, jokingly say, you know, they, they're happy to be a slumlord. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the people who only want ultra, ultra blue chip. And partly that's because there's a perception of it being the best or safer or whatever perception they have. And I've seen a number of investors over time who have invested at either end of that bell curve, get themselves into hot water. Certainly at the slumlord end of things, you know, you face things like, as I said, problematic tenants. And in the event that, you know, something goes wrong and you need to sell, sometimes they can be, you know, less sought after or less desirable. A really good example of investors who have, you know, and I say slumlords, you know, with a bit of tongue in cheek, I certainly don't mean it literally, but investors who have been very attracted to various government schemes where there has been a rental subsidy paid, you know, things like the NDIS here in Australia has been an example of that, where the government has paid significant rental subsidies and made it a very attractive thing for investors to acquire real estate that they know they're renting below market value, but where the government subsidy kind of more than uh, accommodates that. And I know investors who've purchased, say, for example, 10 of those, and they're living on a fairly healthy six-figure net 
income. And then suddenly the rug has been pulled out from under them when the banks have turned around and said, well, actually, you need to start making principal repayments on your loans. And suddenly that net income has been massively eroded by the fact that the cash flow just isn't there anymore. Other investors who participate in similar rental subsidy schemes that then find that, you know, governments change and rental subsidies run out and find themselves holding, you know, a lesser quality of real estate where, you know, they're not necessarily that excited about the capital growth, if at all, and they're not necessarily wanting to deal with the turnover of tenants or the problematic tenants that can sometimes be attracted to those cheaper rental areas. The other end where I talked about blue chip, I've got clients who've definitely invested in blue chip and they've made significant capital gains on those properties. So I'm not arguing against that, but they've been crippled by the cash flow and the land tax. I had a really good friend who used to acquire properties in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, houses typically, and then kind of, you know, it was a very active strategy, but she would work on renovating and then flipping those properties. And for many years, she had a very lucrative annual income and avoided, you know, a lot of capital gains, taxes and things like that. But when there was a blip in the market as they, you know, or a cycle, as as many people know it, where the market stagnates or goes sideways, she found that she got her fingers burnt a couple of times and, you know, really affected her confidence. So I guess in the context of are you leaning your ladder on the wrong wall, it's definitely my personal view that if you're dealing at either end of the bell curve, you know, regardless of whether you believe those strategies work or don't work, I kind of look at it from the viewpoint of if things go wrong, number one, do I have a ready pool of good tenants who will rent this from me? And number two, in the event that I have to sell, you know, in a hurry or, you know, for any reason, you know, do I have a a large ready pool of people who will want to buy that? And that is why typically or historically I have tended to buy properties that are close to the middle of that bell curve, because in my mind, it's, you know, giving you the highest probability of success because there's a large pool of ready investors. If the super wealthy, you know, hit the skids, then they have to drop back to this area of the market. And in the event that people, you know, at the lower end want to step up, there's going to be the largest pool of people with whom to transact, both from a tenancy and sale perspective. So, you know, I definitely see that as uh, an area where people sometimes go a little bit wrong. So look, intellectually understanding that building wealth is important is definitely the right starting point, but you need to have a clear plan that makes sense to you. Building wealth is not rocket science. You know, people have heard me say that over and over like a broken record. But the question I want to leave with you today is, do you in fact understand the wealth strategy that you are adopting? Does it actually make sense to you? And will it get you where you want to be in the time frame that you want? And if the answer to all of those questions is yes, then keep on doing what you're doing. If you can answer yes to all of those questions, it means that you are doing the right things and moving in the right direction. But, you know, the metaphor of are you climbing the ladder to success but leaning it on the wrong wall, unfortunately, is a metaphor which comes up in conversation with people who really feel that they've just wasted time, like focusing on the wrong aspects of wealth, you know, maybe abdicating their decision, maybe buying the wrong kind of investments. And, you know, they've ended up in a situation where 
where they've really, really, you know, put themselves into a corner where they just can't afford to make any more mistakes. When we're young, we, we have time on our side. We can afford to trip. We can even afford to fall. But You know, as we get closer to that point in time where we need to get off the treadmill, we need our wealth to actually support us instead of us supporting it, then, you know, that is when these questions become super relevant. Guys, I hope this was really helpful. Till next time, take care. And um, please, as always, reach out to me on any of my socials or on email if there are conversations or comments or topics that you're interested in. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.